and there will come a day when youth will pass away. What will they say about me? When the end comes, I know where dead robots go. Cause I ain't got nobody. Nobody. Nobody cares for me. I'm so sad and lonely, sad and lonely. Won't some sweet mama come and take a chance with me? Cause I ain't so bad. Hello, and welcome to The Rules of Acquisition, a podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the greatest show to, about bigger daylands. I don't, uh, sure, it's a Fringy episode, kind of. With me, as always, is James Nolan. Hey guys. And Hugh Crawford. Good evening. <laughs> and my name is Wade Bowen. <laughs> and we're talking about an episode called what? Body Parts? Is that correct? Yes. That is correct. This is called Body Parts. It's episode 24 of season four. And here is oh, it also originally aired on June 10th, 1996. And here's the IMDb description. Quark hears on Ferragunar he's going to die. Rom convinces him to sell his remains. After an accident, Bashir has to move Kiko's baby to Kira's womb. Director, Avery Brooks. Oh, I didn't I forgot this was an Avery Brooks episode. Um, I'm gonna lay the cards out on the table. I like this episode more than I thought I was going to. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, 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 I got the feeling that James hated this episode. You, <laughs> I, okay, I'm going to make the case that this is actually probably a pretty good episode, and I, and I actually, no, I, I think I, I think I agree with you. Uh, I don't think James does, I, but sorry, I, no, I, I, I don't, I don't even judge it that hard. I think it's dumb. I think this is a dumb episode. I mean, it had a job to do that was had nothing to do. With the plot of the show, so <laughs> well, it did that the, cleverly. The I B guess. plot had a job to do, yeah, and the B plot kind of doesn't have anything to do. Okay, with well, what, let's let's unpack yeah. what we're we're we're. It's like we're beating around the bush. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, we're talking about Nana visitors pregnancy in the show. Yes, and they have a character Keiko O'Brien who's pregnant in the show, and they switch the two pregnancies to facilitate. A need, mm-hmm. yeah. which is like not having mm-hmm. Kira in baggy clothes, right, or behind a, uh, you know, a station or whatever. Yeah, right. behind her, which is, they her. don't have to cut her out. They don't have to get her pregnant, and they don't have to like like they did with Beverly Klesher in season four, where she's always being filmed in front of crates, <laughs> right. right? So like, or, or Belana Torres in Voyager, where they gave her a jacket, yes, <laughs> to put her tools in like, <laughs> a, a, a ruby jacket. Yes. Which they should have let her keep the jacket because the jacket was kind of sweet. But come on, they weren't kidding anybody because you could see in shots. Okay, well, here's the thing. This is what I liked about this episode and particularly about the pregnancy swap aspect of it. I actually like it quite a bit, a lot more the second time than I thought, because I think that it holds up as an interesting Star Trek idea. What we have in if this was a next generation episode the entire episode would have taken on the shuttlecraft mm-hmm. and it would have had in the third act would have, you know, culminated in the, the pregnancy switch with Bashir doing his techno babble to save the baby. And it would have ended up with them, you know, appearing on the bridge right. and explaining to everybody what happened. And also they, the third act, they would have given birth to the baby and done a switch and just, in it there. Well, either way, it's well, not a, either you're, we're assuming that they've got to do the thing. Right, right, right. They've got to do the baby swap. No, what well, my point is is that I like how they told this. They they chose to tor- to tell the story in the most compelling way. They are d- dealing with the fallout of a thing instead of oh. showing the thing. Yeah, right. So you actually have characters grappling with something that like space is weird and a weird thing happened. The most interesting thing is not the weird thing that happened is the characters grappling with it afterwards. Yeah, I agree. With so that. that's what I liked about this particular episode. And that is a, a specific choice that they made that works really well. I agree that it is more inner, but to me, it also feels like they made the choice to not do the stuff with the accident and switching the birth and everything 
part of it it's in it's inter- it's more interesting to deal with the fallout of it but also uh it's cheaper sure <laughs> you know no, i mean but actually what's cheaper than a bottle episode on a shuttlecraft that you yeah, have, i was gonna you know, say well, you, know, you don't have to pay jeffrey I mean, combs I, for that Coons. well well because they can <laughs> shunt with well, the b plot in this had nothing it's another problem with this the best episodes well the best ones are when there are, are no b plot the next tier is when the B plot and the A plot kind of overlap and and feed into it. I have a tangible plot intertwining. The third is if they have a thematic intertwining. Yeah, this, right. I I guess this is about attachments to our body. I can make a bullshit theme. I guess, but it's mostly like we have this job to do. One of our leads is pregnant. We got to figure out how to deal with this. This is another unique thing about Deep Space Nine. All the characters that are principal characters on the show the their time on deep space nine changes their lives irreversibly like it sets them on a course that's you know kira is changed dramatically at the end of the at the end of the series cisco sure as hell is (laughs) by default jake even (laughs) yeah uh odo is changed bashir is retooled as a character i'm that's a whole separate thing um but if you're going to have and this is my complaint against o'brien at the very beginning if you're going to pitch a star trek show you could have replaced furniture from next generation with a more interesting character than o'brien but you didn't do that so what instead you have is you have a regular family man on a ship where weird stuff happens. Mm -hmm. So they're going to use that. It plays to the strength. And this is a story that plays to that as a strength. There was no hook to O'Brien. So by not having an inherent hook to the character, you're able to do stuff like this show like Mm -hmm. weird stuff happening to a normal guy. And he and his family have to like grapple to figure out how they're going to deal with it. And feel and so, about it. And, and feel yeah. about it. Right. Right. And that's the thing. That they, there's at least one other episode that deals with O'Brien and Keiko and Kira and his emotions. Right. That yeah. I, I mean, I think that they don't they don't stop mining this for weirdness. No. no. And and that right. that I like. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I mean, arguably the interesting hook to O'Brien in this Star Trek universe is that he's the normal guy. He's the meat and potatoes guy that we can relate to in a world of all these exceptional people. It's like, oh, and he's exceptional too, but I mean, I'm just, I just have to interject that I think O'Brien is a better character than, than you did at the beginning of the series. Yeah. I I still (laughs) say that if you're going to make it a Star Trek show, having a shapeshifter that is the ship's station's detective who is separated from his people and doesn't know who like, where he comes from? That's that's an interesting hook. Mm-hmm. Not the non-com meat and potatoes guy. Like, there's you're not going to convince me that O'Brien by being a regular guy is inherently he, I think more interesting. He's the only he's the only enlisted main character in all of Star Trek, which is actually a pretty big deal. I think. Well, yeah, but that's a that's the fertile soil for ideas to sprout up. That's not what they. I think is your argument, Hugh. From the first season of Brian, and I think that maybe I see it, and I think I'm going to say it in a way where I actually think I agree with you. And if I'm wrong, then let me know. But that from the get-go, they sort of had a handle on Odo and Kira, how to write them, but they didn't have a handle on how to write O'Brien and make him interesting. Well, is that because they right. do supplement him as he's Rambo in half the episodes, he's the lead <laughs> in a surprising amount of episodes. He's the smarter in a lot of episodes. And none of that is really playing with his uniqueness as a normal person. Right. Right. And when they do that is when they make him racist, when they make him Mm. prickly, like the way he's used in Bar Association. All of those, I think, add to his his success as a character, as like a normal Joe. Yeah. But I think having him in as an enlisted guy supports all those things. No, yeah, yeah. That's usually the, in, in the military stuff. The enlisted guys, they're the soldier. But you that's know? not an so idea. He, I think be- that Hugh's idea, Hugh's idea would be that that's an idea, not a story. Sure. Right. My, uh, my, my, my complaint is, is that it's a, it's a squandered opportunity for Star Trek. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they basically, they didn't want to keep an interesting character on show. They wanted to retain a quality actor for the show. A name. Which is yeah. fine. That's fine. I, I see where they're coming from. But if I were going to make a Star Trek show and I was going to make the show Bible, 
I would probably have something more interesting than a doughy white guy who's kind of cranky and has a family. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I like a doughy white guy that's in let's well one, if he's not a doughy white guy, what are you gonna do with Colin Meany? <laughs> yeah, I is it is it I'm interested because it is a it's almost like if he wasn't like everybody's gotta be a super genius. Right. On a Star Trek show. You know, Jordy had to be a super genius engineer. You know, everybody's gotta be a super genius. So making him kind of like the resident super genius of like mechanical stuff, a tinkerer kind of thing, also played against his average Jonas because he had to be like, you know, the super engineer. I don't know. See, his average Jonas to me is like he's he's like a mechanic. He's, mm. you know, like he's he's like a grease monkey, normal Joe kind of guy. But he's the best damn mechanic the Starfleet has. Right. Well, that's the yeah. same. It's the kind of same kind of thing like, oh, your book learning's good, but I grew up and I learned through experience. And experience is just as good as your highfalutin book learning. I'm an enlisted guy. Fuck you. Us enlisted guys or us regular Joes through actually living shit and being in the shit like I was in the shit. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. That's enough experience for me to make me exceptional, too. <laughs> but, half, but, but most of the time, that's actually not his character. Most of the time, he's just a... Uh soft-spoken guy he's like <laughs> o'brien is fine i'm just saying like this is a good use of o'brien i guess this particular episode is i'm conceding <laughs> okay that yeah we don't need to get this is thing. a good use of o'brien i'm not i'm not down on him i'm just saying that out of the gate it's a squandered opportunity if you're making a star trek show but they recover well mm-hmm. i guess it's a show a sign of the show's strength i guess okay I'll say fine. I guess when I say it's dumb, this plot is dumb. And even I'm more talking about the other, the A plot, mm-hmm. but like this plot is fine, dumb, but I give it an excuse. Uh, it's actually, uh, just a little backstory. It was actually pitched by Laura Bear, Iris Stephen Bear's wife, uh, as a fix for the. She's talking with Kira about like, what are we going to do about Kira? <laughs> yeah. And, and not a visitor is, is incredibly gracious about the concept. Because she was like, I was really worried, and I, I'm sure that is a thing. Oh, sure. To be super. Oh yeah, as an actress in Hollywood, you can... well, we got to find out some cool stuff about Bajoran biology all the way. Yeah. We did. We got some good techno babble about they have a five month gestation. Yeah, but I just thought it was kind of just basically a big, like it was a dumb idea that they had to do to to do this right. But I think that you're right by looking at it through O'Brien's eyes. And through Keiko's eyes. Yeah. That is the most interesting way to view it. How they deal with it as a family. Yeah. Yeah. It comes as a fix to a production problem first and foremost. And it's hard to kind of separate that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I thought it was done well enough. It stands on its own, I think. And it, it, it pushes close to weird territory, like weird psychosexual territory. Um, yeah and that i i i liked that too do we want to just talk what we're going to talk about the b plot first right so i guess we're in it before we get to the court stuff yeah we're pretty deep in it (laughs) yeah so they go off the volga they come back and she get because it was just keiko needed to get some botanical mysteries of torad five at the cold open and then O'Brien is like, oh, I don't know why she had to go and do that. She's pregnant and she's being a, like, a, she's being a real. It's as if I have to remind her that she's pregnant. You know, what? And then Dax is like, uh, hey, chief, shut the fuck up. Check your privilege, bro. Yeah, that was good stuff. <laughs> like, that was good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I guess the extra weight, the morning sickness, the mood swings, the medical examinations, they aren't reminders enough. Maybe you should chill the fuck out. And he's like, oh. Well, I don't know. I've worked to do that. <laughs> and he walked away thinking, I hate you fucking bitches. I hate all you bitches. <laughs> right. I've worked right. to do that. Uh, so, they, yeah, there's there's a thing and the thing, and they have to swap the babies, and they can't swap them back. Yeah, right. Because Bajorans have a five-month gestation period, which I thought was interesting. The, the techno-babble Bajoran pregnancy stuff, which is interesting, I thought. They carry their turf for five months, and they're, they vascularize quickly, and all the mother and child forms a complex network of blood vessels and you can't take them out without damaging the mother or the throat of the kid or whatever. And that causes sneezes. Yes. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, the stuff with like, oh, oh, well, when they're having her over for dinner, it's like, well, oh, have you had morning sickness? It's like, no, I don't know what. But Jordan sneezes all the time. It's like, okay. It's like, oh. And- <laughs> yeah, and women do, I mean, women do ritualize their pregnancy. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's not a, like I'm not saying that like women do be doing that, yo. I'm, but I am saying that like like that is a part of the the pregnancy is that that it is. It's very much a physical event for them, 
and to sort of remove her away from it is oh Keiko was robbed of, of yeah something. yeah 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 that she was literally robbed like a life will still live and a child will still be born that's hers but that there is a uh, yeah there's a someone spoiled the there's opera. a certain loss there yeah 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 and then the uh, I I want to say like evolutionary affection that and protection that a man like uh, O'Brien showing towards her now gets moved towards another woman, (laughs) which is all super interesting, which is all super interesting. This is all like super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, This could have been a story. Even if Nana visitor wasn't pregnant, this could have been a super compelling story to do anyway. Yeah. 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 yeah, You're convincing me more on that. Yeah. And going to the Julian as a shitty doctor, (laughs) since I feel like we have to hit that note. So people can recover from like broken legs or whatever in a day. She gets a concussion and <laughs> O'Brien still has to go, no, we're docking in the spaceport now. Can you walk? But sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a that was a weird Yeah, like oh I think it was kinda like the last thing that that's part of the ghost sympathy that he doesn't get to do right. that with her. And now she's like fine. She's basically fine and she's not pregnant anymore. But she's and not. So he she's she's stumbling around. She can barely walk, but Yeah, but but I think that like that losing the baby she that's... tumbles down and then then you realize that she's kinda like I don't know. I like to see that scene as a little bit as like she's kind of like play acting is that she's expecting to feel that way but she's not uh, maybe and that that and that that's the loss to her hmm. i saw it as her feeling she was she looked pretty wobbly to me but you know what i've never held i've never carried a child i'm not saying she's faking i mean i'm sure her perineum's all fucked up but <laughs> they probably transported the baby out i don't know how that works <laughs> But I'm sure they ripped that perineum to shit. But I, don't um, know. I feel like maybe I don't. I don't know how shit works in the future, man. If they didn't, then her walking funny's weird. But I guess she wasn't a car crash, so just from that alone was gonna be <laughs> right. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. But I, it was a little bit of he's doting on her. But. I'm just just the thought that we don't know how that baby got out of the body, <laughs> so we don't we're speculating on what kind of what kind of yeah. like physical yeah. damage. <laughs> it all makes me very uncomfortable to like uh, yeah, uh, I'm, uh, one. I'm not a woman, and two, I I'm not a father, or I've never I've never have to go through anyone else's pregnancy in an intimate way. Yeah, it's it's the <laughs> ugliest thing. Uh, that you can ever normally see. <laughs> well, okay. um, uh, but I've seen people die. Been in the shit. Huh? But, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'd rather see people die. No, I wouldn't. But uh, it, it is pretty weird. And and I just, I'm seeing that, like, the point of it is that she's got, like, this shadow pregnancy. Yeah. And that maybe she has this sort of compelling need to be that way. And he has a compelling need to coddle her, but that it's, he should be coddling Kira. <laughs> Well, <laughs> and that becomes the the good fun. Yeah, and and her whole like, oh, it's not right that I should make an appointment to go see my baby, and and Kira is pretty good at understanding that. Mm-hmm. But every now and then she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll come to dinner, and yeah, I'll stay, and then <laughs> I guess Kira Kira is maybe the underwritten character in this whole plot line. I bet she's pissed. <laughs> like it's it's basically what I would imagine she. And I don't think that they wrote her that way. Yeah, I thought she was understanding, which is a compliment to her. Like, she knows how, because it is an inconvenience. Well, it's a very big inconvenience for her, but it's also. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But she's kind of like into the motherhood thing, too. She's religious. and I don't know. And she's very gracious about, like, realizing what a big deal it is and how important it is to the O'Briens. And she's respectful. Yeah, but of, I mean, I, I'm still, I, I'm pretty sure on her 35th piss of the day. Oh yeah, she's about a baby, like just doing basically a good, a good favor for someone. Yeah, she is a career lady too. Let's not forget yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like she's a career woman who is used to being physically able to to complete any task. Mm-hmm. And she's a fucking commando too. I mean, she could take down people. She can. She's been independent since. Forever, so this is this is got to be an adjustment to the character. And now she's gonna have trouble. Yeah, she's gonna have trouble wiping her ass for the next couple of months, and that's <laughs> and she's gonna get nothing out of it. Yeah, my so, favorite so, is. And then now she's got to move in. Now she's got to move in with these fucking people. Well, that's my favorite thing when they're like, "Oh, do you want to come for dinner?" And it's like, <laughs> and, "Or do you want to come over?" And she comes over, and "Oh, you want to stay for dinner?" And she's like, 
Uh, sure, okay, and then... In fact, Keiko and I have been talking about something, yeah? <clears throat> Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Well, we have an idea that we'd like you to consider. It's just an idea. We don't want to pressure you. I understand. What is it? Keiko and Miles very quietly just kind of toss their keys into a bowl. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking, and I was thinking that scene in, uh, was it Doug Lyman's Go? Where you think it's going to be about wife swapping, but it's about selling Amway. <laughs> right. Well, we've been talking, don't pressure, don't pressure her. We thought maybe since you're going to be. <laughs> Have you ever thought about Herbalife sales? Have you right. ever heard of multi-level marketing or direct <laughs> sales? Yeah, no, right. um, but yes, yeah, so they're clearly, they're clearly playing a, uh, we're talking wife swap. <laughs> right. Two swing. Yes. <laughs> Miles thinks you're pretty cute, uh, <laughs> right. uh, but it is it is weird, and it, and I, I like the weirdness. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, she comes over and then she she brings her bag in later, and she's like, she's got just a duffel bag, and they're like, that's it. And it's like, well, I travel light. And it's like, yeah, because she was a fucking freedom fighter for years. She just packs light. But, yeah. And then Molly comes in and is like, oh, can I call you Auntie? And she's like, what? I don't know. It's like, yeah, that sounds right. It's like, okay. Can I play in your room, Auntie? And she's like, sure, whatever. And then she has just a look. This is like a gulp. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, but now she's got to go get them Bajoran, Bajoran uniform pants with like a 10-inch elastic band around the side, <laughs> right, around right. the top. And that's not going to that's gonna piss her off. No. I mean, this is the good part of the episode for me. Really? Uh, yeah, See, the, this was really okay. Well, let's get into the quirk stuff. You don't, you don't, you did not enjoy the because I, I, I thought I we hate, had some good quirk stuff. No, I, this I, was the bad part of the episode to me. This was my. I like the quirk stuff more. Really, than, I thought both stuff worked. I mean, fun. it was fine. <laughs> I really did, like, but it, uh, it because it to me it was like, oh, they they dealt with this problem well enough of what to do with their lead being pregnant, but it felt like just a fix for that the whole time. And the fact that it, so the Jeffrey Combs stuff is the is the bad stuff for one of you guys. Yeah, huh? That's the great stuff for me. I loved it. I'll, I'll even say, yeah, I'm gonna knock. I'm gonna knock Jeffrey Combs a little bit in this. What? Uh, oh, oh shit! Yeah. Things we, just got very interesting. I did not like this episode. I did not like this episode. Shit at all. All right. Well, no, I, I, I'm I'm very interested in hearing what what your malfunction is with with. With this episode, with this, okay, so because I I love this. This is this we had was great. Garrick stuff. Yeah, this is Garrick and Jeffrey Combs. Garrick's in like five two minutes of it, and Jeffrey Combs is uh We get great rom. This is long day, more uh, long days journey into quirk stuff. We get some of that. I don't know. Like it's the first off, it's the plot of The Simpsons where Homer eats a blowfish, <laughs> and the doctor tells him he's gonna die in twelve hours. I love that Simpsons episode. Yeah, I know. It's a good Simpsons. It's a much better Simpsons episode. <laughs> I fucking I hate I hate I hate this dumb concept that they sell their bodies. It, it bothers me to no end. <laughs> the desiccated remains. I think the whole plot is just fucking i don't know like i just think all of the stuff about that is dumb you, you don't like the i thought it was the, a dumb the ferengi remains futures market that that yes you don't like the ferengi ebay stuff <laughs> <laughs> well no it's not it's that why would they buy, like they buy something with no value whatsoever it's just it's it's I don't know. It's silly, but it's been I mean, established already, and they keep bringing it up. No, um, I, no, I, I, I think it's dumb. It's okay, and I think that it's. And so I thought the whole sort of plot mechanics were kind of dumb. Hmm. Because you just dislike the backing premise of it so much. Is that why? And 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 the whole story that sort of prompt like. Basically, it comes down to Quark wants to live more than he wants to follow the rules of acquisition. Yeah. Oh, I mean, but I don't know. Like, is that a journey? Yes, this is a huge journey. This right. is a, this is a big plot point this on the whole arc of the Ferengi arc of the whole series. I feel like you're selling me a used car with this. I feel like you're selling me a bad car with this. No, I, I no, think no, no. I, I agree been... with Wade completely. No, no. This is I another just... example of how living on Deep Space Nine is is changed somebody ir like irreversibly. Yeah, Maybe. this is all about. This is part of the Ferengi culture, uh, their arc and their their journey that to become dumb. the more. That is what are you, th that is what are you dumb. talking about? 
And then that's and it, that's that's like one of it's the, dumb to sell body parts. It's dumb. I'm not it's talking about the body parts. Based on I'm body not parts. talking about the body parts. I'm talking about the Ferengi and so you societies. Have this whole, you have this. I'm talking about the Ferengi have, societies. What it is? It's a forced attempt. I'd, let me talk about the. I'm talking about the the arc of the whole Ferengi society growing towards more human humanist ideals of the Federation, and this is a plot on the on that journey. Did he do that though? Yes. Did he do that though? Yeah, he broke a contract. That was a big deal. The beginning and the end of the episode, the cold open, aside from the O'Brien stuff, is like his brother Rom is at the bar and, and sits down and Quark is all happy-go-lucky. And they learn that he's... We learn that he's dying. I'm... I'm dying! And then Rom is like, hey, brother, it's okay, you have friends. He's, and he's like, friends? Friends aren't worth shit. it like Hulk Hogan. Hey, brother. <laughs> right. <laughs> Take your vitamins and say your prayers. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Orpox says I have six days to live, whatever. And Rom is like, hey, man, you have friends. You're you're valued. And he's like, friends? I don't give a shit about friends. My profit is, like, <laughs> worthless. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure as a Ferengi. And by the end of it, he learns that friends mean something and that he's valued and that he can take solace in that and that yeah well i mean that's before i start breaking down the whole plot he's learned by the end the, the meanings of sacrifice family and working together as a team. he doesn't learn that at all no. but <laughs> that's the big thing but i'll break it down as we go through it but yeah i just it's definitely he goes on a journey we have all this stuff about religion and coming to terms with your culture and stuff and who you are. Yes, there is a lot of, there's a lot of ideas in there, but none of them are in service to like a compelling story to me. None of them actually like by the end of it, it's that he is sacrifices his standing in the Ferengi culture because he wants to live, which is like, we would all sacrifice all, all society and civilization yeah. in order to live. Not every the will to sacrifice. Not, the, the, not a lot of. It would actually be brave people that to have to have killed himself based on these based on these uh, adherence to this dumbass like There's, religion. That that's racist, dude. You you are perfectly believable that the Klingon would kill himself if his honor is is besmirched. But a Ferengi won't do it to to keep yeah, a contract. Yeah, but I would no no. But I wouldn't say that if he to keep a contract. But I wouldn't call that growth if he did. There's so there's hundreds and hundreds of, st of examples in our culture now of people growing up in a religious culture that says that where they kill themselves because they believe in their religious identity more than than the circumstances of their lives. How many mm -hmm. Japanese businessmen have killed themselves over business? Not sure, but I'm just saying that when you don't do that, I don't think that you're, I don't think that failure to do that is growth. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's noble to do those things, to kill yourself over business or, uh, <laughs> it's noble the, the to... second, the, 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 the hidden imam or whatever. But I don't think that it's noble to not do that. Like, it's not, I, I, it's not noble or not. He's, he's learning well, I mean, I think it is. I don't think it's. He's making a sacrifice. It's just character growth. It's just him like changing. Yeah. But you're saying it's easy. It's cheap character growth because the to the the will to live is not. Yes. Is not exactly a bold thing to. Yes. I, I see what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. It's not hard earned or whatever. But he's. <laughs> it's like him setting aside fundamentalism for a more nuanced kind of perspective on his religion from the way yeah, I said it doesn't have any plot I mean it's got that it's just I don't I just don't like it right but you're right I mean but I like I don't know it's just silly it's just it's not like I don't know and even <laughs> well like, I, I, I it's silly in the way that TV that syndicated TV shows is silly because you know if a character's in peril for their life and they're they are a breakout like yes, we, we never right. thought that for a minute that he was actually going to die. No, yes, because this is a syndicated TV show, and I think you're right. And I always thought that it would be somehow making a stand. It's it's bar association over again, right? Well, the interesting thing to me is they don't pull punches where he finds a loophole and gets out of it. He makes a big sacrifice that should i don't remember how the rest of the series goes that should yeah, been worse. reverberate with his character reverberate for, yeah for for like this is a huge big deal that he you know this is not a 
next generation thing where we return to the status quo in the next episode. We might. I don't remember. But they do like half the next season. Right, right. But, but like, I mean, he did the same thing with his mom earlier. He's done the same thing with the girl prophet thing. I mean, like, I think this is the same quirk plot character growth over and over and over well, again. Well, that, that's, that's the other thing. He acknowledges that, too. He comes from a fucked up Ferengi situation. Yeah. And that's why Brunt hates him so much. Right. And that's where Brunt's whole, like, but... Oh, so mm. yeah, so it ends up he. I'm dying. He's got Dork syndrome, mm-hmm. He's, or Doric syndrome. Doric, yeah. Uh, which one in five million Ferengis has, and he's got six days to live. That line where he says, "I finally beat the odds." Yeah, that, there's two lines that he says that I think are funny and get to a good representation of Quark as I get it. One of which is that I finally beat the odds. That line. Yeah. yeah. It took me my whole life, but I'm gonna die a winner. And the other one is when uh, they tell him he doesn't have Doric syndrome. Yeah. And he goes, you know what this means? And Rob says, like, you, you're going to live, brother. It means you'll it's live. Like, and he goes, no, it means I can, I can sue my doctor for malpractice. Yeah. That was like funny as shit to me. And that's Quark yeah. to me. That was, yeah. I'm going to sue Dor- yeah. Dr. Orpax, who's the most expensive doctor. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, do you want to see uh, Julian? He's like, it's like, for sure. A good kid eat. No, what does Julian know? He doesn't even charge people. Dr. Warpack, so he has to be good because he charges the most. Which is And that like, is yeah. where that's parts that I think like what I I'm really critical of when they get the capitalist impulses of Ferengi's right and when I think it's dumb. Hmm. And I think that those kinds of things, like yeah. that I don't like, why would I go to Julian? He's a bad doctor, he doesn't even charge. That that gets that concept that the 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 oppressive capitalist mindset right but this idea that we'll sell anything to each other sounds silly it makes them look silly when that should be sinister i don't know well sometimes capitalism is silly we <laughs> i mean look at the juice bag thing yeah or the yeah. juice that squeezes juice out of a bag yeah, Juicero. He's silly. if that's yeah. not for Ranganar type thinking right. so this idea that they have this it, what it what it bothers me about, and why it's an why 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 I make a big deal out of it? Why isn't it just a James get get over it thing? Is because that it's a whole big part of their society and their funeral rituals, and therefore their their status in life based around trading something with zero value. Right, but and I know that happens sometimes when the collector is an issue. Like if they wanted to sell the body parts of famous people, like I know that eBay's full of like I got right like Paul McCartney's hair buy it well that's what this idea that everybody goes up on some sort of market is is a little stupid to me well that's the thing only the famous people and the other thing i like about the another thing that i thought quirk is the whole thing is like i'm a failure as a ferengi i'm just a bartender i'm a joke on ferenginar mm-hmm. you know i'm a joke and he's got all these debts and he's got to worry about i got the will settled i got moogie's pension settled I got these debts, oh, but they're mostly with humans, Bajorans, and a couple of Klingons. And then we get the 17th rule of acquisition, which is very important to this episode, which is, it is yeah. a contract is a contract is a contract, but only between Ferengis. As a side, I think 18th rule is maybe like everybody has a little Ferengi in them or something. <laughs> but, or, some, or maybe don't, don't, yeah, there's something, yeah. But I guess that I think that this kind of novelty market of like even baseball cards or comic books, this kind of shit isn't like that's not the people who are pushing for this tax bill aren't those guys that are trading baseball cards we're talking about like like people who trade on commodities so i wish that that would be these more dangerous market trading and not this kind of that they got they fall like the people who buy comic book cards and collect comic book cards they aren't fucking up society well and I don't, I don't care if society doesn't move beyond. Like if O'Brien and Bashir traded comic books, that wouldn't bother me. Well, the thing is, but it, well, and this episode gets into it. Like, yeah, they trade, and part of Quark's problem is that he realizes he's not worth shit on the market, right? Because he is worthless to. He's not valued in Ferengi society. And then Rom is like, "Well, I'll buy. I'll, like, you're going to be number one on the market." And he's like, "Oh, there's this." Oh, I see. I've got one bid on the market for 17 bars, 13 strips, and five slips, mm-hmm. which coincidentally happens to be your entire life savings, you piece of shit. And he's like, oh, no, no. <laughs> but then 
Then he gets a random, like he sees a thing on the market for, he gets bid for 500 bars, which is 5,000 strips, which is 1 million slips of latinum. We finally have a conversion rate from slips to strips. Yeah, exactly. I had, that's why I had to say that, put that out there. <laughs> and then he's so excited, but he's also so nervous about it that he immediately like sells it because he realizes that he isn't worth anything. And it's not just everybody buys a thing. It's only important people that actually get any money out of their desiccated remains. Mm -hmm. And then he thinks it's the Nagus. And I like the stuff with him and Rom. I'm like, Rom is like, um, oh, it must, it's gotta be the grand Nagus. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think he even really likes you that much. It's like, no, it's the Nagus or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? And then the whole thing, my whole life, but I'm finally going to be a winner. That, that thing. Yeah. 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 And then Jeffrey Coombs comes, Combs, 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 motherfucker. FCA. And Brunt comes in. Yeah, and it, it's... So, I got a question to ask. Who's had more lines this season, Dax or Jeffrey Combs? <laughs> Let's just say the better actor. <laughs> this is the third... I think this is the third Brunt episode where he's a vital character, and he was Wei Yoon and spoke a lot in the Wei Yoon episode. Did we get Wei Yoon yet? <laughs> oh, yeah. we Yeah, he got smoked. He got yeah. killed, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah he, got, he, got, he got gots. That was like a couple weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Because we've, at so, this I mean, point, we've seen more Brunt than we've seen Wei Yoon. That's right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've just seen Wei Yoon once. Yeah. And I don't think he's played a. Did he play another character other than Brunt this he season? Did. He played. Well, no, it was last season in Meridian. That was third season. Yeah. Where he played the the woman who wanted, the guy who wanted to jerk off to Kira. Yeah. Kira. Who's a proto Brunt, really, isn't he? But okay. So well, my thing is, I noticed while I was watching the scene, is that Armin Shimmerman is a legit talented actor. Oh, he's great. Like, yeah. I would go see Arthur Miller. I, I would go see Arthur Miller's Death of the Sales. I, I will go see whatever whatever he's directing at UCLA. I would go see that college production just because he directed yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would just see him in, like, if someone told me that, like, you know, that, I don't know, he's in the new Paul Thomas Anderson film, I would think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that he would be able to control that. Jeffrey Combs is a great actor in a way. Like, I love Jeffrey Combs. Oh, yeah. But I love Jeffrey Combs. Like, I mean, if you see Reanimator, he's not a small, like, he doesn't play to the scene. And so I felt like in his scene with Quark, Quark is doing this very understated role where Jeffrey Combs is doing this great Jeffrey Combs type performance. And I felt like it was tonally kind of off. Man, in this episode, and so man, I, it's I not don't a, know. It's not a big thing. It's not a big thing, but I just wasn't. In the I don't mood know for what you're talking about, man. He's yeah. fucking fantastic in this. I didn't pick up on any tone, anything weird tonally. But you I go see. Would you go see Jeffrey Combs? Would you go see Jeffrey Combs' Death of a Salesman? I wouldn't. Shit, yeah, I would. I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's going to be an ironic weirdo piece. No, because it's theater. It's staged. Whoa, whoa, yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, Give me a, give me a where where Jeffrey Combs isn't doing. He's a B movie actor. He's a great B movie actor. One of the greatest in my lifetime. Man, but even the movies that he's considered his more his base normal movies are like Reanimator, where he's chewing the scenery. He is a man. When I was in college i had to watch a theater production video with what's his name from beastmaster in it mm-hmm. doing taming of the shrew and that motherfucker was fucking fantastic and i expect no less of jeffrey combs yeah i think he could, <laughs> i think he's do a serious charm but when have you ever seen that he wasn't like that in, he wasn't like that in frighteners he's he's i don't know he's just that he's a i love him i love him <laughs> but i yeah. love him but he's not well, with uh, all the issues that we have with this episode could, i wouldn't count brunt as one of them no 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 no. this is he's not the problem with this episode you just you brought me on to say something what? that you said right. even well, jeffrey you got jeffrey Combs. i was like even that was kind of like limp to me yeah i never i never picked it i personally never picked up on anything weird but all right, I mean, I'll just take yeah. care. Oh, my favorite weird thing, before Jeffrey Combs shows up, what does Quark say when he's getting Umox? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even... I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't even remember him getting Umox. No. Sorry, that's me being a crass asshole. I'm just looking for a place to put this audio cue in. I'm coming. <laughs> that I heard okay. from the show. <laughs> And it's gonna, uh, it's gonna make it. In. I'm coming. Sorry. Oh, did you it's, know that it's Quark yelling? I'm what? coming three yeah. times. That's all. I'm coming. That's all I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was looking at other things that Jeffrey Combs has been in. 
He was in a pilot for a Doom Patrol show with Clancy Brown playing the negative man. He played Chief. And how did this show not get made? I want clips of this. Nobody's playing, like, Robot Man. It was in a like, Roger Corman <laughs> uh, Doom no, Patrol. No, no, it was done in 2003. Oh, and they did yeah. three episodes for a pilot. Okay. And when Clancy Brown is negative, I want to see this show. It might have been a cartoon. Uh, okay. I love Doom Patrol. Oh, anyways, but, so uh, Quark is, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And it's Quark, and it's Brunt, FCA. And so it turns out that Brunt has bought out the 52 disc of desiccated remains. And then Quark is like, wait, no, no, man, I'm not dying anymore, don't you know? And he's like, no, I don't care if you're dying or not. I, a contract is a contra- contract is a contract. Mm-hmm. And Quark is like, no, man, like, we're not Klingons, we're businessmen. <laughs> and then uh, Brunt... Jeffrey Combs pulls his 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 best iced tea with a lisp even with yeah, that big mouth prosthetic right. in there. <laughs> He's like, it's not business, it's personal. I was like, business fight wasn't personal. So yeah, if he backs out, he, so he can either kill himself or he can back out of the contract where he gets everything taken away from him, all his Ferengi holdings, and it's not because. This is how it builds into the greater Ferengi plot for me. It's because Quark in this, the way that he's been uh, evolving as a person through all this interaction with the Federation and stuff is totally abhorrent to Brunt of the Ferengi Commerce Association because his brother is from the Union, his weakened degenerate family, his mom is a female doing business. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, and he's a philanthropist. He only took a 30% kickback from tips and he was selling medicine at cost or only above cost <laughs> yeah. uh, slightly. And so he's gone Starfleet. So he's a threat to the whole Ferengi way of being. And that's why Brunt needs to destroy. I do like the way Jeffrey comes says philanthropist. That makes me yeah. happy. Yeah. Philanthropist. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. And like you gave them vacations. It's like, no, I didn't give them anything. They contribute towards a central fund, which I manage. It's like, you disgust me. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's why the, he, he's a threat to Ferengi society. The same thing that he accused Nog and, you know, and mm-hmm. Rom of being, you know, being like root beer, you know? Oh, yeah. It's insidious. It fits into this stuff. You're a disease, Quack. A festering tumor on the lobes of Ferengi society. And it's my job to cut you off. No, I mean, I got, I mean, I didn't, I don't know. Like, I mean, all of this stuff, I guess this is interesting, but it it, it isn't a little familiar to me. But, you know, it's everything is about the package that it's packaged in. So I'm not saying that the ideas are bad or would have been bad in a different story. I just... This this whole story seems kind of I don't know. It was sort of like it, it, yeah. well, this is probably a good a good chance to segue into. Well, we gotta we gotta get to the the uh, it's a wonderful life ending, right? <laughs> yeah. So well, then he he's decided he's going to be a good Ferengi and die to fulfill the contract, and then he goes to Garrick. oh man, that's so good. That that's one of my favorite. That's one of my favorite scenes yeah, in this season yeah. is the Garrick stuff. That Garrick I did like that Garrick didn't need a lot of convincing. That made me happy. Yeah. Well, yeah, he does it first. He's like, he's like, oh, I need you to kill somebody. He's like, I'm not a, I was a gardener. I'm, I, I, how dare you, sir? He's like, no, I need you to kill me. No, the gardener stuff was oh, into yeah, window. Yeah, like if you, yeah, I'm was, a gardener. Yeah. If you need something weeded, you know, let me know. Like he was mm-hmm. by declaring himself a gardener in a previous life. He is right. indicating that he wants to talk and double speak. Right. That if and that, yes. I, 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 and that also really in stuff. that that book that we that book we can't find is actually about him gardening and and Romulus <laughs> being a guardian a gardener. Which one? Oh, the that book we can't get our hands on anymore. Right. Uh, is actually about him being a gardener, being under oh. like whatever, like his 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 uh yeah. profile. Whatever you call it, when a spy, uh, yeah. his lie, the what he is in normal society, right. it was a gardener in Romulus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, okay, mm-hmm. but that yeah, but and he's like, I'm not doing that. But then what's Quark says like, No, I need you to kill me. It's like, Oh, well, well, that's different. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> he just drops all pretense and does that. Like, yeah, let's talk, let's talk about how that work could work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, I liked all this the comedy stuff with like Quark being such a baby about how he dies. Like, no, 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 no. Snap my neck like right that. I I don't want it, the last thing I hear to be like my neck snapping. I want it mm-hmm. like let's see, okay. 
You want it quick, painless, preferably bloodless, and that whole spiel. I liked all that stuff. And then it's like, no, I just want to be surprised. It's like, oh, oh, I can surprise you, sure. And then his like wandering into the room. It's like, I'm not gonna be surprised. You can't kill me now. <laughs> I mean, Armin Shimmerman's the best. I don't know. Then we go to yes, his dream, the dream sequence. Oh yeah, yeah, that whole thing. I forgot about the dream sequence. Yeah, when I arrive at the divine treasury, the registrar will accept my bribe and let me in, let me inside. And yeah, the, the that was dress. kind of a low point of the episode. I I could kind of get on board with really? with James at this point, and that that <laughs> really that felt I like they had some time to fill. Anytime you have a dream sequence, said Vince. I, I yeah, I, that that had that had that had clear writer padding. Really? He kept having a line about how it looked like. Uh, that was a uh, dream sequences where you tell somebody, why are you in my dream? Like, get out. This is my dream sequence. Get out. Like, mm-hmm. that's 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 bad. I liked it. I liked it. It felt to me like them just relishing and having fun. And the Rom and Max Gurdenchek and the Nega's Gint makeup looked so much better than mm. <laughs> my dinner at Andre. Like, Nega's. I like uh, Max Gurdenchek as the Nagus better than I like What's than Wallace Shawn. I do. Shawn, I man. thought he was better than Wallace Shawn. <laughs> fucking fucking heresy. 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 That that <laughs> that gets real annoying. Whereas it does. That that gets old. That gets, <laughs> yeah, I could keep doing it, and I don't want to because it's gonna drive all our listeners off. I, I, I refuse to say anything negative about Wallace Shawn. <laughs> like heresy. But Matt Gurdenjack doing like a Borscht Belt comedian. Gint, I thought, and two. The makeup was better. That's undeniable. Oh, I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, but, sure. That, 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 you're not wrong there. Yeah, yeah. And then then, then we get into the whole religion stuff. It's like, well, like, oh, this is just a dream, dream sequence. Well, is it? But that's what religion is. And then the whole, whole like, Gent, who wrote the rules of acquisition, is like, no, nah, well, they're just suggestions. Come on, man. Don't. I wrote it down as a marketing ploy, mm-hmm. which is also a great Ferengi like religion. It's a marketing ploy. Yeah, no, I liked it. It is a good concept as well, and it works so well with the Ferengi being capitalist and everything. And you know the, and he's like, no, these are rules of I don't. I'm his whole thing is like I'm a Ferengi. I'm not just a guy that does business. I'm a guy that lives by a code, a, a set of rules, the rules of acquisition, you know, mm-hmm. sacred precepts by which all Ferengi society is based. It's like, and then he talks to Gint and Gint's like, no, I just made that shit up. It's like, their guideposts, their suggestions. Like, what do you mean? Why do you call them rules? It's like, it's a marketing ploy. We wouldn't sell otherwise. It's rule 239 yeah. is never be afraid to mislabel a product. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, well, okay, I guess you're right. So if we I, got, we got two, we got two out of this, yeah, two rules that's right. for acquisition out of this episode. Yes. 17 and 239. And both of them are fun. They'd never be able to mislabel a product. That's pretty fun. Too. Yeah. It's just a dream. It's like, well, if I can argue, it's a vision. I guess I can get out of it. Right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> and then Brunt shows up as the devil on his shoulder. Yeah. And then he chokes himself to wake up. And then, he, yeah. And then he, what he goes in and he says, I'm not doing it. And then they disbar. Yeah, like you have conf- consequences, poverty, destitution, and exile. If you break the rules, you know, and that's, as a modern kind of analog, that's kind of the rules. If you break your religious customs for some uh, cultures that people he's, live in, he's being shunned. He can no longer go back to his Amish village. Yeah, Ferenginar. Right, he's been shunned. Yes, yeah, exactly. Now, okay, so what does he got to do? He's got to start over. He's got to like basically he has no money. Is that what the thing is? Right. Yeah, they take. He has no money, and and he can't employ Ferengis. Ferengis can have nothing to do with them. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, normally you don't see a lot of other Ferengis working. Like, you don't casually see a lot of Ferengis working at the bar. You do see a lot of Ferengis working there. And at the Union, where it's mostly... Well, but when they hit the Bar Association, there was half, almost all Ferengis. Yeah. And then when there was the episode with with a woman Ferengi dressed like a man Ferengi, it seemed like there was a lot of Ferengis working at the bar. But for the most part, it's just Nog and Rom and, and Quark. Casually. I mean, right. Well, but yeah, they have been there. We've seen them. We know that they're there, but they usually don't want to pay for them. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> like, so that's, uh, I mean, that, that, that's the thing. And they confiscate everything in the bar, which prompts this, um, George Bailey moment. Yeah. To my big brother, George, the richest man in town. He realizes 
that his life has had an impact and that uh, if he had killed himself earlier, everybody's life would be worse. (laughs) And they bring him all this shit. That's not even what it is. No, I know. I know. I know it's not that. That's the ending of Wonderful Life. Which they're aping. Well, I know who George Bailey is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's a great aping. movie, man. I don't know. You've never seen It's a Wonderful Life? No, I'm saying It's a Wonderful Life is a great movie. Why not emulate it? That's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I guess it's Yeah. I mean, and that's a fine ending, but it's not. That's one of the things that I don't like about uh, this show does a lot of these little pop culture homages. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of a, that's a little bit of a, like a tick that they have. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and so it, once you see it happen, we've had it, Godfather ones. We've had mm-hmm. it bookends the beginning and end of this episode. I thought rather well because he's like friends, like all oh, these humans. I don't give a shit. And then at the end, he's like, you know what? And even Rom calls it out. He's like, oh, sure. He's like, oh, you do have assets. Mm-hmm. It does. I give. I do give it. Like, I feel like that. This is Bashir comes in we, with some Alvanian brandy. Dax comes in with some ugly glasses that her sister sent. Yeah. They're like your other glasses, but really ugly. It's like, oh, she has a sister. That would have been interesting, but we never see. Yeah, but whatever. And then everybody brings in level two of the habitat rings being cleaned out. So Cisco comes in with all this stuff. And Odo is like, what do we do with all this? It's like, oh, we got room here. And then Quark being still the businessman is like, Oh, you can't do this? And like, what? What do you mean? It's like, not without paying a storage fee. And Cisco is like, seriously, motherfucker? He's like, oh, I mean, it's a modest fee. And then they smile because they live in this mm. post-scarcity cap. They don't give a shit. Like, okay, we'll work together. Yeah, yeah, fuck whatever. And then, yeah. then Rom's like, you thought you didn't have any assets? Cisco, Dax, Bashir, and Morn. Like, and then he smiles. It's nice and So I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask Q's favorite question in all of Deep Space Nine podcasting. Why don't they just replicate this shit? <laughs> yeah. It's you know how hard it is to fit a chair in that that tiny replicator that he's got over there. I'm sure, I'm sure they have a workaround. Well, we for have- Synthol Hall, he even brings up later, oh, the Ferengi all I'm the I'm the king of Synthol Hall or whatever. And they don't respect that at all because it's yeah. it's like some that's weak ass shit. You know what I would have done to fix this episode? I, I I would have uh, had Quark not learn a thing <laughs> because he, this is a lesson that he's had to deal with over and over. Mm-hmm. And I would have had Quark go through a transporter, have his pattern buffer saved in the transporter. And then when he comes out, have that Quark killed, chopped up and sold. And then after the dead body's been delivered to front, <laughs> you have the you have Quark transport back onto the pattern buffer. Yeah. Because this pattern was saved in the pattern yeah. buffer. I mean, th- I'm glad they didn't get a techno babble solution to this. And one, if they could just replicate clones through transporter buffers all the time, it would be, we've already had to deal with that with Riker. It'll bring up a lot of questions. I mean, there's no question he's dead. I mean, right. But, but transporter <laughs> clones are apparently a thing that are hard to do. Right. Well, here's a, the thing. Like, it's a weird anomaly when we get Tom Riker, right? Are we going to nerd corner this? I'm nerd cornering is what I'm no, doing. Oh, hell. Okay, so I'm going to ta- take this. Th- I opened up a can of worms right at the last. Okay. And I do like that Quark has to make a sacrifice, <laughs> and, and and it is a big character change for this episode. Sure. <laughs> you opened up a nerd You're... corner on your Columbo exit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, because doesn't, the like, a replicate, like, for the transporter, it essentially kills you. And then Xeroxes you on the planet or wherever you're going. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, so can, that's you right. can easily program it to Xerox you and not destroy the original. Then have Garrett kill the original. Or you do it. Fuck, why not? That sounds fun. And then... But, <laughs> no, we've been over this. Transporter clones are a thing, yes. But we've talked about clones and stuff. You're right. That It's a thing that they've explained that is hard to do in Star Trek for some reason. Because they don't want to have to answer this question. Because it would solve many story yeah. problems. Because it would solve all the story problems, yes. Yeah. Yes. But they've it's yeah. a, so. it's set up in the universe that you can't just make clones out of transporters all the time. Okay. You have to grow a clone in a vat, like back in season one, that bad episode. Yes. It was like was the second cool. episode of the season. Yeah, it was disgusting and horrible. Yeah, no, it was yeah. gross. Uh, you have to do it in like a petri dish. So. Yeah, yeah. So all told, this episode, I mean, this episode ain't going on my, my white album, <laughs> which is close to because we're, we're at the last episode. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to start off the James rule. 
is a, a season should never go over 25. I was going to, I thought you guys would hate this too. And I was going to install the James rule where if whenever an episode season goes over 24 episodes, they shouldn't like <laughs> it absolutely shouldn't. And uh, I like this, this episode, episode a lot, actually for the, I, I, cause well, most people just don't like Frankie episodes. That's fine. You don't have to like it. <laughs> but, right, my issue with it. My, I love the last Ferengi issue. I don't like most of the Ferengi episodes because I believe that they fall back. I don't know. I feel like they're not landing their punches when they could be. Yeah, this one I like. Oh, could we do the rewatch meter though? I, I want to know where Wade falls on this rewatch. Okay. Yeah, I can do that. Hmm. Let me think. I'm gonna, gonna do math. Are you gonna do math on this? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. James, is it, is it zero for you, James? No, no. It's a. It's a. You actually made me want to go back and rewatch some of the Kira stuff. Cause I mean, I think he made some valid points on like sort of eyes open with that stuff that I was, I was kind of like just rolling my eyes that it was plot service yeah, and that it was clever, but I knew it was clever before. So you, right. you can't experience somebody, somebody being clever twice. Right. <laughs> but I, I do think that maybe like, I would like to, to mine it for more context with this weird relationship between Kira and O'Brien that develops that they do like, bring to a, a weird head in just a few episodes. So let's, let's put it at a four. See, yeah. Three. Let's put it at a three. The Kira O'Brien stuff is what makes me rank this episode lower. I like the Ferengi stuff so much more like than a, it's not bad, but it just, it's reeks to me so much of let's fix this technical problem that we have because our actors. Got yeah, but he's it. right. But they are taking that as an opportunity to be, yeah, to but mind they, some pretty interesting stuff, unique emotion. Well, yeah, yeah. some pretty unique emotional yeah. interplay between the characters that you wouldn't get on a normal show set in IRL or something. Right. Well, that's what I really like about the situation is that anytime you have characters that normally don't have anything to do with each other and all of a sudden they have reasons to be connected mm-hmm. that makes more interesting stories yeah i would put this at a this is like at a six or seven for me for the rewatch meter which is yeah. unusually high for a subpar what would typically be considered a subpar episode i i, I would rewatch this yeah one. and i mean I, like we can blurt this up for spoilers but they they take this where you think they might sure <laughs> next season yes i I don't remember. Yeah, like I mean, it's not my favorite episode, mm-hmm. but I will. I'll. I'll give. I'll probably give it a six too. But it's not because of the Kira stuff for me. For me, I will rewatch this if I'm wanting to watch like a Ferengi arc of the show because I feel like this supports the growth that we got with the Union episode. It's a growth of how the Ferengi have changed, and it's kind of bleeding from his family onto Quirk. Which is Brunt brings up over and over and again, like your family is degenerate Ferengis and now you're like one. And Quirk has been the one Ferengi of his whole family that is like, no, I'm not. My family's all fucked up, but I'm a good Ferengi myself. And this is where. So st- where would you put it at, at your your rewatch? Well, I'll put it at six because I it's still not the best episode. I'll, but but mostly because the incongruity for me, it's because these A and B plots don't match up at all. It just doesn't feel like a solid episode to me. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to make a match. It does feel like two halves. Of it. <laughs> it's hard to make a match without saying the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know what body parts means because it's his whole body. There's not talking about splitting them. I guess fifty two discs. Well, I mean that's that that a body part. The Kira is, stuff too. It works for that. Yeah, that that's about body. Yeah. So yeah. But parts makes me think about cutting somebody up. Do you guys want to guess what the good people of IMDb think of this episode? Uh, uh, seven. 6.8. 6.8. 6.8. That's my final answer. Oh, I'm going to say 7.7. 7. I'm going to go 7. 7 exactly. On the nose. <laughs> All right. It's got 687 votes, which is pretty fair at this point. This is pretty moderate. It is a 7.5. Ooh. Oh, okay. Underrated it. I can't get my game back on this, but yeah. Yeah. Boy, I think the IMDb just has some bad taste. <laughs> uh, next week is a better episode, if I remember correctly. It uh, Ojo gets gets sick. Oh, this and, is a series finale. The season and finale. And not season finale, right? A major fucking shit happens. Yeah, shit goes down. Next up, this is a. Yeah, it's the end of the season, right? Yep. Yeah, this is the. the yeah, we're at the end. So of the season. it's gonna be like a cliffhanger, probably, right? Most of them uh, are. No, yeah, I mean they. I mean they. It they, leads into the first. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't end in a cliffhanger. It ends in a definitive event that they have to deal with. 
through most of next season. Okay. Yeah. No, we're two away from one of my favorite episodes, though, which is the one where Avery Brooks has to go, uh, has to be a Klingon for half an episode. Ooh, and it's. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's a good it's one. It's everything I wanted more. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about your life here. The rules are nothing but guideposts, suggestions. Then why call them rules? Would you buy a book called Suggestions of Acquisition? Doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? You mean it was a marketing ploy? Shh. A brilliant one. Yeah, we've gone long on this one, so we'll just cut. All right, Wade. Uh, so if people want to get a hold of us, uh, how should they do that? Uh, yeah, so you you can reach us. Give us your feedback at 917-408-3898 to give us a call, and we might feature you on the podcast. Uh, give us your info and your opinions on, you know, Deep Space Nine or whatever, or send us an audio file under three minutes, preferably, because that's when the voicemail cuts off at rulesofacquisitionpodcast at gmail.com or find out all the other stuff we do and get all the other audio and all the other stuff that we put up for y'all at our Patreon at patreon.com slash kickers of elves. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to the rules of acquisition for James, Wade, and myself. Read to beam out. Do you know the cunt weasels that run this show have a call in line where you can express your DS9 wishes and DS9 dreams into their ear holes? They will play them on air and try to be nice to you because one day they hope to sell you Blue Apron snacks and underwear made out of Modal. The number is 917-408-3898. That number again is 917-408-3898. You will probably want to talk about how hot Dax and Bashir are. That is great. These pretentious asses also love it when people say they are wrong. So feel free to do that. James will probably go off on a knowingly obtuse rant about construction issues or political sophistication. We know you love that. Again, 917-408-3898. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Please review us on iTunes. We need to feel loved sometimes.